All right, well, good morning, everyone. I guess my mic is on, Sherman? Okay. Would you guys go ahead and open up to First Peter? First Peter. In chapter 2 this morning. First Peter chapter 2. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Let's pray. Well, Father, this morning we, we certainly have tasted your kindness this morning as we've sung the gospel. We've seen again with our eyes the lyrics that just portray what happened 2,000 years ago and what continues to um, reverberate throughout our lives and the lives of so many in this world. Lord, the cross is everything. To the Apostle Paul, he said, may I never boast in anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world was crucified to him and him to the world. Lord, the cross in a sense is a mystery. There's, a, there's so much going on there that are revealed in your scriptures, Lord, but how it accomplishes all those things, Lord, is just amazing, and mysterious, and, and yet real and true. Lord, you do break the power of sin in people's lives because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Lord, certainly we've already seen it this week, just thinking about little Kate Hannon and just her desire to want to follow you. Thinking about my brother-in-law. Lord, a man that was entrenched in darkness that's in some ways not experienced by most people. And yet, Lord, you raised him up. He's a new person. He's tasted the goodness of Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, he'll never be the same. We just thank you for that, Lord. We just thank you that you you come into our lives and you display and, 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 and just shed abroad your love in our hearts. Lord, when we're ungrateful, evil people by nature, yet, Lord, because you are kind and because you are good, you don't give us what our sins deserve. And not, do you not just give us what our sins deserve, Lord, but you give us glory. You give us an inheritance that won't fade away. You give us an, in, an inheritance that's incorruptible, that will last throughout eternity, Lord, where we will live and never die where we will be with you and you will lead us to the water of the springs of life forever. Lord, just thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're not a capricious God. Thank you that you're not a God who changes. Lord, if you ever loved us, you loved us today and you will love us forever. You accept us today, you'll accept us forever because of Christ and because of your, your incredible love and 
Lord, we come to you this morning just knowing that our only hope is in Jesus, but he's a sufficient hope. He's a sufficient Savior. We can actually draw near to your throne of grace with boldness because of what he's done. You welcome us here. You want us here. And you, you tell us to come. And we come boldly. We come, Lord, asking you this morning that you would do in us what we can't do for ourselves. That you would take your word and write it on our hearts. That again, we might taste the kindness of the Lord. And tasting it, Lord, we would long for more and more after we leave this place. And that we would just be encouraged to know that we have your word. And so we can. We can taste it again and again and again and again and again and again. And so, Lord, just thank you for this. Thank you for this amazing resource we have in your scriptures. Be with us this morning as we open it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3. In times past, we look at these first couple verses as Peter's been considering this subject of the Word of God and the power of that Word of God to bring about new birth that he said in verse 23. That again, mysteriously but truly and really, God takes His Word, whether you see it on a billboard, whether you hear hear it on the radio, whether you have somebody tell you over the counter, God takes His Word and mysteriously but truly works it in your heart and brings about new birth. It's called the imperishable seed of God. This Word brings about this new birth. That's why it's so so vital that we preach the Word to each other and to the lost world because God is still bringing about life through His Word, His imperishable Word. And this Word endures and and it's living and it endures forever, Peter says. And Peter's been talking about loving one another and the fact that we can love one another because we've been born again. We're not who we were, and therefore we have new resources now to love one another. The power of hatred in our lives has been broken by Jesus Christ. We've come to see and experience His kindness, and therefore we're not the same, and therefore it issues forth now in this love that we have for the saints. And in chapter 2, Peter still with this mindset of the love of the brethren tells us that there are some things that we have to put aside in our lives if we're going to continue to have a body of believers that that love one another and that's unified. These characteristics here, these, these evil traits are the things that will tear against the fabric of the church, that will tear against the unity and the peace of the church. Those things are malice. Peter says deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. All of these things, he says, you must put aside. Lay them all aside. And as you do this, then you'll be sort of ready to receive the Word of God. He says, you put these aside, and then in verse 2, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Here Peter is, is comparing and sort of using as a metaphor this, this issue that, that Christians are to be babies, <laughs> infants as it were. Not in some derogatory way like Paul tells the Corinthians, but, but in terms of our dependence, our utter need, particularly here, our need upon the Word. Peter is saying that just as milk is vital for the growth and the survival of any infant, so also the Word of God is vital for the growth and the final survival of, of every believer. 
you know, you can get into a trap where you, you know the basic storyline of the scriptures and you think you kind of know it all. But Peter doesn't have that view. Certainly you can understand the fabric of, this, of the Bible and, and, and the, and the storyline and, and, and what God is doing in history, but yet Peter also understands something that he understands that we are people that, that forget very easily who we are and what God has done. We are people that are constantly inundated every day with information from the world, perspectives from the world, ideologies from the world. That if we're not careful and we start to set aside the world, we'll begin to take these ideologies in, these thoughts in. And you'll begin to be nourished by the word or by the world instead of the word of God. And so Peter, Peter here is telling us to long for the pure milk of the word. He's telling us to set our affections there, long for that, for that word, eagerly desire the word of God so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Peter wants the brethren to grow. You know, like I said last time, again, I think sometimes we downplay, or we, I, I should say maybe we upplay, if that's a word, the power of indwelling sin. And we sort of live like we'll never get past a certain point in our lives because it's always there. And granted, it is always there. But we have to be careful that we come to the Bible's conclusions about indwelling sin. Yes, we have indwelling sin, but this indwelling sin does not mean that we can't grow. <laughs> Peter expects us to be able to grow. We have the Word of God in us. We have this seed. God is sharing His life with us. And because He's shared His life with us through this, through this Word of God and through His power and His Spirit, we now can grow. We now can, I don't know, look different than we did two years ago. Think different than we did two years ago. Become more stable in our Christian lives. Become people who know that we need Him more and more and more. And we can grow. To where before long, after time, we, be, we begin to just think and act and love and live like Jesus Christ. And Peter has this expectation. And it's the Word of God that's the means for that growth. But I just want to take a second just with that thought in mind. I didn't really get to finish it last week. But just to really hammer home the importance of staying in the Word. You know what will happen if you don't get the nourishment of the Word of God? You will get the nourishment of the world. And Peter says that this growth that he wants you to achieve is a growth unto final salvation. This is a growth that... that, that is sort of happening all the way to the end. But there's a danger. There's a danger of certain things that will want to choke the Word's power in your life. And if you become a person who feasts on the world and you set the Word of God aside, you will not make it to glory. Oh, Chris, that's once saved, always saved. Well... I want you to listen to a scripture. It's pretty sobering. We know it very well. Matthew 13, 22, Jesus giving the parable of the soils, mentions a particular situation in which someone can hear the word of God and receive it, and yet finally not make it because of certain things. Let me just read it. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns 
This is the man who hears the word and the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Just think of that. The worries of the world. The deceitfulness of wealth. What do they do to the word of God? Well, it chokes it. How many worries are there right now in the world? How many things out there that can begin to just flood your mind and be taken in through your eyes on social media? How many things are there? All the things that the the world worries about, concerns itself with. You know, when evil people rise, the temptation is to fret. The temptation is to become anxious. Everybody else is talking about it in the way of fretting. Maybe we should too. Maybe it's irresponsible not to fret. Jesus is saying, do you want the word of God to have a place in your life? Or do you want it to be choked? What do the worries of the world accomplish in your life if you take them in and begin to be anxious about the things the world is anxious about? Suffocation of the word of God, that's what will happen. See, the word of God wants to breathe, it wants to move, it wants to live, it wants to, it wants to have this, this positive effect in you all the time. And as you take on the worries of the world and begin to be anxious about what it's anxious about, it will be choked. And it also will be choked if you, if you pay attention, or not pay attention, but give in to the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of riches can choke the word too. Wealth is deceitful. You can begin to think that acquiring wealth is where life is. This is really what I need to be focusing on. And the word of God becomes sort of a token. Knowing God becomes sort of a token. And you can begin to think that the important stuff is your career and your degrees and your bank account. But Jesus is saying, buying into this lie can choke the word of God in you. Why? Because you can't serve two masters. You'll either serve money or God. And if it's money and career, it can be all-consuming, and the word that calls you to set your hope on the world to come will have no place in your life because you'll be focused on other things. Brethren, you, your heart can only focus on so much. And this is my great desire to explain to you guys this morning the importance of keeping your heart in the scriptures, because if not, this culture, this American culture right now that is plummeting in terms of stability and in terms of corruption will choke you out. And you will begin to think that it's your job to fix it all. And I know this is a slippery slope and on and on and on, but I'm telling you, if you take on the worries of the world, the word will be choked. So you can't do that. Certainly be informed. Certainly be wise. But if you find yourself fretting and anxious on a regular basis, you need to turn off social media and take up the Word of God. The Word of God has this amazing ability of this sort of calming effect, right? Because when you come to the Word of God, you, you remember there's a God on a throne who's over all things. And He's your God. And He's for you. And you don't need to fret because you've got 70, 80 years here if due to strength. And then after that, the best is yet to come. What are you doing worried about this world? Our purpose and place in this world is to bring people to this living God 
whose living word can bring about new birth. That, that's, our, that's our mission, our purpose. Just always remember that. I'm preaching to myself here. Always remember that. The world's focus, the nourishment of the world is self-focus and vain glory. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. They make you think that life is all about you and your life and your feelings and your glory and what makes you happy. And if you're not renewing your mind in the Word of God on a consistent basis, you'll become more and more worldly. That's just what happens. You you will. I'll kind of put it this way. The people you see as stable, vibrant believers, these are people who long for the Word. Is that right? The people who are stable in Christ are people whose minds and affections and wills are tethered to the Scriptures, the Word of God. That's why they're stable. That's why they're vibrant. The people you see who have joy in Christ or even hope in the middle of of heartache and resolve to trust God in the middle of heartache, how can they do that? Well, they can do it because they're anchored in the Word of God. The people who want to pour themselves out serving the Lord, these are people who are being nourished by Scripture. It's not a mystery. People that are growing are people that are longing for the word. But if you see people who are complaining all the time, slandering others, divisive, people who who are resentful, envious, these are people who have set aside the word of God. You know, Satan came in the garden and spun God's command as a slight against our self-esteem and self-fulfillment. He said, God just doesn't want you to achieve greatness. God is just power-hungry and stingy and against real human progress. Well, that's not true at all. The Word of God is actually what's best for you. It's what actually brings about growth. It's the way to achieve greatness from God's perspective. See, Satan's great lie is that we can be gods and determine good and evil for ourselves. That we can determine truth and reality for ourselves. This is Satan's lie. We need the scriptures. We need the scriptures. So I just want to encourage us all to remember that the word of God here is not a token. It is our food. It is the remedy against finally walking away. Right? It's the remedy, it's sort of the vaccine, if you will, from the world's ideologies. It's the Word of God. I hope we believe that. And I hope we don't just tip our hats to it. And Peter assumes here that true believers will long for the Word because they are the ones who have tasted the kindness and the goodness of the Lord. He says... Long for the pure milk of the word that you might grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. See, Peter assumes that if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, then you will long for his word. He says, if. Ifs are always a little scary, aren't they? Makes you take inventory. 
if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Peter conditions this whole section here of longing for the word of God on this one thing. Have you tasted the kindness and goodness of the Lord? If you've tasted it, he knows you will want more. He knows that. If you've tasted the kindness and the goodness of the Lord, you'll get what I'm saying. You'll, you'll want to long for the word of God. But this if also is a check to those in his audience who need to evaluate themselves and why they call themselves Christians. Have they ever tasted the goodness of the Lord? Peter's primary emphasis here is to encourage them, to stir them up. But it's also a check. What is Christianity to you? Is Christianity fundamentally about really relishing in the goodness of God (laughs) in the gospel? Or is it just a religious discipline? Merely. Peter says he can't think about getting in the word and not think about the goodness of God. He says, if you've tasted the goodness of the Lord. What does this tasted mean? Acts 10.10, the word is used here in the context of food. But he, Peter, became hungry and was dying to taste or eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. So here the idea is that Peter wanted food. He wanted to have food, put it in his mouth, have his hunger satisfied, right? More than just taking a small sample, he was hungry. He wanted to eat. So here it's this idea of eating to satisfy hunger. Matthew 27, 34, they gave him, this is talking about Jesus on the cross, they gave him wine mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. So here it's a little different. It's more of a sort of the idea of getting acquainted with a flavor, the sampling of a flavor, being acquainted with it. I mean, fundamentally, you all know what taste means. When you're thinking about food and drink. But it can also be used metaphorically of the idea of to be acquainted with or the experience of something profound. So listen, in this text here in Matthew, but I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So here the idea is that people in Jesus' presence will taste death only after they see the kingdom of God come. Certainly here he's talking more about just sampling death. Talking about experiencing death. There are these people in his presence that will, will not die until they see the kingdom of God coming with power. And then Hebrews 2.9. See Jesus tasting Something, But we do see him, the writer of Hebrews says, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Here the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus tasted death for everyone. Certainly here tasting is more comprehensive than a mere acquaintance with death, even though that is part of it. He himself takes in the complete experience of all that it means to die. He swallows it whole. This death is the death that is for everyone. This death is the wages of sin. This death is the eternal punishment that sinners deserve. Jesus tasted and experienced this death for us all. 
We see him on the cross tasting death. You see him in his cries of dereliction tasting death. That's what it is to taste it. He was experiencing the full measure of it. (laughs) This was not something he read about in a book. This is something that he was taking on in himself. So when you go back to Peter, Peter is saying that that if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, you've experienced the Word of God. You've experienced the goodness of the Lord. You've become intimately acquainted with the goodness of the Lord. Have you experienced this? Have you known this? Have you had the unmistakable encounter in your soul of the kindness of the Lord that, that brings people to repentance? Remember Peter, when he was fishing all night, didn't catch anything, and Jesus shows up and he says, yeah, now put your, throw your nets on the other side, and throws his net on the other side, sort of reluctantly, but does it, and then what happens? Well, the nets are so full, they're about to break. And Peter, confronted with his goodness and his kindness of Jesus Christ, can't help but just, in some ways, sort of repent and just feel unworthy, utterly unworthy of being in the presence of someone so good. This is what experiencing the kindness of the Lord is like. Have you seen the Lord as utterly good? Have you tasted him? Have you, have you tasted his grace? Or is he still just some distant, disconnected idea out there? If so, Peter would say, you won't long for the word. Right? It's just a disconnected idea and thought. Then this will have no appeal to you to long for the word. Now, when we're talking about, so we're talking about the kindness of the Lord. What do we mean by that? If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, the word word is kind or gracious or good. Some translate it goodness. The ASV has gracious. The root idea is kind of interesting. It just, it means to make use of something. So the Apostle Paul says, if others share the right over you, do we not more to take material things in light of their service of the gospel? He says, nevertheless, we did not use this right. But we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel. Paul says, but I have used none of these things in terms of my rights in the gospel. And I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die than have anyone make my boast an empty one. So here the idea, when we're thinking of kindness or goodness, Paul's using it in a way that talks about the usefulness of using his rights. So it's kind of strange. Paul's saying, I don't use my rights to take material things from the Corinthians. It has to do with how Paul treats his rights. It's the idea, how, how he treats his rights. And you see this develop a little bit more as we look at some other passages, Acts 27.3. And the next day, Paul says, or Luke says, we touched at Sidon and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. So Paul's in custody, and they make a stop, and the commander there, Julius, courteously entreats Paul and gives him liberty to go. That word courteously, that phrase courteously entreated Paul is the idea of of this idea of kindness or goodness. Julius used his, his power 
kindly to Paul and gave him the liberty to go to his friends and refresh himself. He treated Paul kindly, courteously, and let him go see his friends. Luke 5.39 gets even more to the point now. Luke 5.39, and no one after drinking the old wine, Jesus says, wishes for new. For the, old, for the, for the one says the old is good enough. It's that final phrase there, good enough. That's the word. Here the idea is that they've used the old wine and they're satisfied with it. It's sufficient. They don't need any other wine. So certainly here is some sort of positive notion here. Luke 6.35, but love your enemies. Now this is an important text. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he himself is kind. That's the word. To ungrateful and evil men. God treats the world kind. He's a good God. I mean, you can't look at a... I was just sitting in the doctor's office the other day and I was looking at this incredible picture. I don't know where it was. It looked like it was out in the Rockies of this sunset. You know, the purples and the oranges and all these things in the mountains and everything. And you just can't look at that and think that at root, you know, fundamentally God is evil or dark. All you see is glory and beauty and light. That's who God really is. I mean, the, the beauty of creation is an apologetic for the goodness of God. It really is. And the, and the fact that God every day gives people birthday parties and, and graduations and success and laughter and love and sunshine and all these things show the kindness of God. And Jesus says, if you want to be like God, be like that. Love your enemies like God loves his enemies. And if you're doing that, you'll be displaying the kindness of the Lord. God gives them beautiful days, even though they are utterly ungrateful and evil. That's who we were. Is that right? That's who we were. Enjoying life, I mean I was, enjoying life as much as I possibly could with no thought about God whatsoever. No praise to Him, no thankful heart. Just utterly ungrateful. And yet God let me live another day and another day and another day and another day and Brought me out of predicament after predicament after predicament after predicament after predicament and I should have been dead or at least arrested. He's a kind God. He's a kind God. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. The idea here is that God has been utterly kind to you, forgiven you in Jesus Christ, therefore be like that with one another. Tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. He goes to the heart. He, he won't let it be that a body just tolerates one another all the time. Sometimes you're going to have to forbear. But he won't just let it stay there. We need to be tender-hearted with one another. Tender-hearted. Just remember when God saved you, he shed his love abroad in your heart. And you knew that God is a tender heart.
So back to Peter, he is saying that you have experienced this kindness and graciousness of the Lord. He knows that all genuine Christians know this well. And we find that the reason we're able to taste the goodness of the Lord is because Jesus tasted the horror of sin. The horror of death. That is why you get to taste the goodness of the Lord. It comes at a great cost. A massive cost. A cost that's it's hard to even really wrap your head around, truly. So if you know anything of this goodness and this kindness of the Lord, it's because the Lord Jesus 2,000 years ago drank deeply of the severity of the wrath of God so that we would never taste death. And Peter assumes all Christians without exceptions have experienced this. They can personally testify that God is good. It's far more than simply what they've just read in a book. The tongue of their souls has tasted His goodness and His glory in Jesus. You know, when anyone is changed by Jesus in the Gospels or in the book of Acts, they don't go away sad, (laughs) do they? They don't go away just being like, eh. They go away sometimes leaping in the air. And and at least babbling to everybody else about what they've experienced, what they've seen and heard in Jesus Christ. They've tasted His goodness. It's otherworldly. This is Christianity. It's someone's life responding to the goodness of the Lord. My brother-in-law knows this well now. Truly, he does. So, Wednesday night, me and some of the brothers were praying up in the north. And I know brothers were praying, praying in the south. At the, and at the end of the prayer meeting, Paige, my wife, comes into the room and, and said, Preston called and I was looking at her, because he doesn't usually call at night. He's not allowed, but the RA let him call. And when I saw her grin, I knew probably what happened. And what ended up happening was that maybe a week before that, Titus wrote him a letter, my son, my oldest son. And Months ago, maybe even at this point, the Lord used a passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians to really speak to Titus's heart, to give him assurance, because he was struggling with assurance. And so I said, well, bud, you need to face that doubt head on, and you need to get in the Word. And that's what he did, and he went to Ephesians, and the next morning I came in, and he said, Dad, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, holy cow, it sealed the deal. Let me just read it for you. Let me just read it for you. I know this is off script and all that, but who cares? In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. What an amazing, I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. 
So Titus was moved to write this scripture to Preston. He wrote him in a letter. I didn't even know about it. So he wrote this letter and sent it off. And so Wednesday night, when he called, he told Paige when, he, when she first picked up the phone, let me talk to Titus. And so she was like, okay. So he was talking to Titus, and he said, Titus, I just want to thank you so much for those scripture verses in your letter. Because that's what the Lord used to reveal himself to me. And Titus was like, blown away and said, welcome to the family, brother. This is literally what he said. Then Preston opened up the page and gave more details. And you know, that night, Preston was supposed to be in a, in a life group. It got canceled. And when he was on his way back to his room, he saw another one meeting and just was like, well, I'll just go be a part of this one. And that night, the counselor there was going to do something in some, some, some sort of curriculum they do at Miracle Hill, and he decided just to not do it that night and talk about identity instead. So he put a question to the group. So who, he, told the, he asked the group, so who are you fundamentally? If God stripped everything away from you, who are you fundamentally? And the counselor said, Thinking about myself, who am I fundamentally? I'm, I'm a child of God at the end of the day. If you strip everything else away, that's who I am. And it really struck Preston. Really caused him to think, like, yeah, what? That's a big question. I probably should say, Preston is my brother-in-law. I didn't say that. One-time drug addict, alcoholic, um, other things. Um, yeah, it's a long story. But in this group, this man was talking about identity. And at the, at the end, he said, you know, I'd just like to end with a couple scriptures. Guess what scriptures they were? Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And he, he opened his Bible and he started talking about Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And Preston was like. And he looked at the counselor and the guys and he said, you got to stop for a second. My nephew wrote those to me this past week. And now I just know that God is speaking to me. And the counselor looked at him and he said, he normally wouldn't ask Preston to pray because Preston's, you know, he's an agnostic atheist or he was. He said, Preston, do you, do you want to pray? Because he could tell Preston was like really reeling. And... Uh, Preston was like, I think I do. And when Preston started praying, he was like, he told Paige, he said, it's like God just came down. And I had to repent. He said, I had to. I had to. The Lord showed up and I had to repent. And he said, I, I just asked for forgiveness over and over for all these different things. Everything was just flooding. And at the same time, through the prayer, he was just thankful to the Lord, thanking the Lord, thanking the Lord, thanking the Lord for being merciful to him. And he stopped praying, he looked up, and everybody was just, you know, falling apart. 
And he went back to his room, and the counselor went with him, and they opened up Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 and just read it over and over and said, well, Preston, let's, let's just really take this apart. And they took it apart, and, and Preston was just glorying in this text. One of the things that Paige told Preston, or asked him, I guess you could say, said, Preston, Knowing God now is way different than you thought it would be, isn't it? And he was like, he's like, I had no idea. What is that? It's tasting the goodness of the Lord, isn't it? That's tasting the kindness of the Lord. He finally did taste it and knew it experientially. He knew it. God came down. And now he was forever changed. I've talked to him, we've talked to him since then, and now his greatest fear is that he'll be ashamed of the gospel. It's just hard to imagine. You know, I feel like, remember when the people were there in the early church praying for Peter when he was in jail? <laughs> and they're praying for him, praying for him back at their house. Little do they know what God is doing in jail and Sending Peter out, you know, by the angel, and Peter comes all the way to the front door, knocks on the door, and the servant goes to the door. And she hears it's Peter's voice, and she was like, she doesn't open the door, she's just dumbfounded, and she tells them, and, 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 and they're like, what? You're crazy. And she's like, I'm serious. It's really Peter. That's the way it feels. Like, our prayers really worked. <laughs> I mean, there's a sense in which it feels like that. God is saving sinners. God is hearing our prayers. God's kindness is still changing people. People are still tasting it. My, my brother-in-law has been shown so much mercy. And now his greatest fear is not, where is he going to get his next hit or whatever? It's, I want to be faithful to Jesus Christ no matter what. He said, he said we watched a documentary on the, on the gospel, or on the, on the life of Peter. And he said, Peter was, was a man who was bold in the face of death. He said, that's who I want to be. That's what he said. That's what he said. That's just crazy. You don't know my brother-in-law, but I'm just telling you, that is crazy. He was a mocker before. He'll flat tell you that. And now he's, his greatest fear is that he won't be pleasing to the Lord. So he's picking up Spurgeon and starting to read him. And he's like, man, this guy is different. <laughs> he said the way he's able to paint a picture of the gospel is just crazy. This is what Peter, this is what Peter's talking about. This is the goodness of the Lord. It's the kindness of the Lord. We've all tasted it in some way, shape, or form. And this is Peter's rationale for his command to long for the Word of God. He doesn't just come tell us, read the Bible five times a day, say three prayers, and God will love you. He says, you've tasted the goodness of the Lord, if you're in Christ. Don't you want more? Don't you want more? Where are you going to find it? In the Word of God. That's where you're going to find it.
This is what brings about growth. And God isn't just asking you to come eat your veggies. I mean, there's a sense in which it's true, right? It nourishes us. But he's talking, we're talking about the Word of God that is the goodness of the Lord. It's the delight of our souls. It should be. It must be. It's not telling you to come eat something that tastes bad, but it's good for you. It's not telling you to taste and see the Lord is good. You know, we say we don't want to be experience-driven, and that's true, right? We don't want to seek after experiences per se. But Peter will say, you get in the Word of God and you will experience the goodness of the Lord. That's what he says. Listen to Psalm 34. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. You hear that? The humble will hear it and rejoice. We'll hear what? David's praise to God. What do we read in the Psalms? We read in the Psalms of men's praise to God. For what? Verse 4, I sought the Lord and He answered me. Oh, don't you know that He's a God like that? That you seek Him and He'll answer you? He delivered me from all my fears. Think of all the fears you have. Think about them all. I mean, how many times can you testify of being afraid, overwhelmed, anxious? You call out to the Lord and all of a sudden, strength, deliverance. David says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. David says, they looked to him and were radiant. The humble who heard him, they looked to God and they were radiant. You know, when you look on God, it brings light to your own countenance and their faces will never be ashamed. David says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is Good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David is saying, come read what God has done for me. Take it in. Take it in and taste and see that the Lord is good. Come see that this poor man was delivered. You don't think you can be delivered? You think God is distant, doesn't hear you? Come read what happened to me. I'm just like you. I'm poor. And I cried. And guess what happened? The Lord came. Drink it in. You want to be reminded of the goodness and the character and the power of God and stop your complaining and your grumbling and your groveling life. Get in the Word of God and see what He can do. And trust Him. And wait on Him. And trust His promises. Remember the kind of God He is. Remember He's kind. Hold on to that, those Scriptures and they will be your ballast. At the end of the day, there's a good quote here that I thought was great. Christian growth for Peter is not a mere call to duty or alien moralism. 
The desire to grow springs from an experience with the Lord's kindness, an experience that lead, lead believers desiring more in his word. So have you tasted the goodness of the Lord? Have you tasted his goodness? Or is Christianity just merely principle, merely dutiful religion? Or do you, do you know what it is to, to taste and see that he's good? You know, the awesome gift that we have in the scriptures is that we can taste and see this any day we want, any time we want. We just need to avail ourselves to it. And it takes discipline. Don't get me wrong. Please don't fall into the trap of thinking that you're only going to get in it if you feel like getting in it, because oftentimes you don't feel like getting in it. I'm there too. All the more reason to get in it, (laughs) right? All the more reason to be disciplined, regulate your life so you get in it. And then when you get in it, just remember, I need to get to the goodness of the Lord. That's what we're doing when we're opening up his word. We're getting to his goodness, seeing him afresh. And because it's a living word, it can work in you hope, faith, joy, perspective that will help you in all circumstances. All right. Well, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Just thinking about your, the scriptures that were used in Preston's life. Scriptures that were used in my life, I'll never forget. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Lord, in all the scriptures you've used in my brethren's lives in here to display your goodness and your power. Lord, help us to be a body that that longs for your word, that eagerly desires your word, that, that we would be people who bear fruit, and are like trees planted beside streams of water, that even in times of drought, we continue to yield fruit. In times of hardship, in times of cultural decline and shift, we still bear fruit because that word is having its free course in us and we're not getting choked. Lord, just help us to be people that, that pay attention to you in your word, to keep our eyes fixed on you. Certainly, Lord, we want to be sober in this world, but we know that true sobriety only comes by having your perspective on this world. And so, Lord, we know the word can give us this, so please do it. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Um, Thank you just for, Lord, for who he is and what he's done. Thank you that once for all time, he's tasted death for us. That we would taste the marriage supper of the Lamb in fullness of joy and in, in delight and in just never-ending peace for all these things. We just praise you. Praise you for him. I just pray that you would work in the hearts of the people here this morning, those who don't know you, child and adult alike, that you would just cause your goodness to be just shed abroad in their hearts, that they would taste and see that you are good and be changed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.